We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me wanna. to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And we're here, as we have been over the last few weeks, talking about camp battle previews. I'd love to launch right into our latest, but I feel like there's a loose end here of sorts that needs to be tied up for our listeners. Chris, the floor is yours. Yeah, well, uh, we had the... Uh Saw the video on Twitter of me dancing in a Pikachu outfit. Some of the sexiest moves you've ever seen in your life. Pikachu. Uh, so we had, the, we had the birthday party. For those of you who haven't, at Rockpile Report on Twitter. It's a I'll pinned tweet. Put, it's put, pinned. Put, put a little uh, backstory into this. So this suit that you have on in this video. Now, I've watched Chris. Um, Kyle, uh, Kyle Smith and uh, uh, Gary, Gary Smith of the AFC's Pros Podcast. Gary Smith brought a bunch of his friends once into town from New Jersey. And when I say they're Jersey guys, they are Jersey guys. Like, they're the types of guys. I, I couldn't get him to go anywhere else except Chippewa. Except Chippewa. Like, that's where they feel most comfortable. Uh, Gary and his friend, uh, his name escapes me. Um, what I do know is his friend was going to take his shirt off and he was doing chin-ups on the door of the elevator at one point on our way up to Skybar. Um, he was randomly flexing at groups of girls. He was he kept imploring that he was going to be your wingman and asking if you wanted to come down, come down with him for a weekend in Hoboken where he would really show you how to how to be a ladies man. I would dominate Hoboken. So they, they, they were a fun crowd. But so I guess my point of this is you've got this crowd getting Chris all gassed up to go like Jersey store, Jersey Shore crazy. And they get him drunk and take him to the to the top of Soho downtown Buffalo, where I saw Chris dance in public for the first time, and thank God, last time of my entire life, and it was something. It was like if Elaine Bennis was trying to do the robot while also clapping their hands 
and pointing at random people walking by them and saying things to intentionally make them uncomfortable. That's how I, that's how I do things. But uh, <laughs> my girlfriend's son, Benton, turned six on Saturday, Saturday, actual birthday. So he had a Pokemon party. And she spent $43 on Amazon getting this blow-up Pikachu that you get in and do whatever. Walk around, entertain children. Yeah, it's got a fan at the bottom and then like a battery pack that you have to attach to yourself and wait a few minutes while it fills up with air. So I had to... I danced at the children's party in that (laughs) outfit. I did make the mistake of... they were like, my girlfriend was like, what song do you want to dance to? And I was like, well, I can't go with Glenn Fry, The Heat Is On, because I just did that for Twitter, and it was phenomenal. I had to think of something else. This is where I made a mistake. I said, Ario Speedwagon, Roll With The Changes. That's like a six-minute song. <laughs> and we had it played on Alexa. I couldn't hear it. Like, we tried. I told him to turn it off. I'm already deaf. I can't hear anything. And I'm trying to... I can barely hear it, and I'm trying to play it in my head because I know that song in and out to, so I can keep my moves going. And when all these these kids were in the basement, and then they came running upstairs, and I'm in that area where we put that television. Yeah. And I don't know what it is about five, six-year-old kids when they see somebody in a giant blow-up costume, but... Thank God they were like five, six years old. Because then they just immediately started throwing hands at me. <laughs> but they don't have, but they don't have any force behind their punch to get through all that air. So it's just, it's just like it's just like barely touching me. There is a phenomenon. There is this phenomenon. Kids want to like they see like oh my god, and their first in- instinct isn't hey let's stand here and enjoy this and just enjoy the presence of this character we like. It's usually to physically accost you. Yeah, it you see it all the time. Yeah, and Benton was at that. He's turned six, so we didn't know if he was like at that age where you would see that and you'd be terrified of it and start crying, or if he would be generally excited. And he chose the latter and started to throw <laughs> throw hands while I while I danced. And then other kids took turns getting into the uh, into the costume and, and dancing. The other thing that happened at the party, which now, did you burn that costume afterwards? No, no, no. She has it. I will wear that. We're breaking that thing out. Yeah, Folks, just tailgates, stick around. Holiday parties, all that. <laughs> the other thing that happened at the, at the party in relation to you and I meeting, so I finally met Jessica's friend, Heather, whom they went to high school with, together. We're friends on Facebook, but never really hang, hung out. It's oh, just it's like, that obligatory Facebook yeah. ad where you're like, "Well, she friended me, and yeah, this you're, is a person who knows my wife." Yeah, probably. you kind of knew each other in high school, and then you add each other on Facebook. So, it might have been a couple years, like two years ago, she reached out to Jessica because she saw that uh, she also has a son. Like, oh, hey, would you like to get it together, play date? We'll have a glass of wine. Our kids can play to play together. They're a year and a half apart, so. That happens, and then Heather tells Jessica, you should get on this dating app, Hinge. I met my boyfriend on Hinge. You should do that. So she does. I meet Jessica. End of story. So now that I met Heather, it's, oh, well, you got to meet my boyfriend now. Have you ever (laughs) been a part of anything where you have a girlfriend 
and you got to meet one other girlfriend, one of her girlfriend's boyfriends. Good. How does that go? That I haven't. We're planning that, and this is what I know about him. I'm gonna assume I didn't ask if he was a Bills fan. It is kind of funny that that's how you seem to meet people. Yeah, it is. It, it but generally, when in that situation for men, if you have a girlfriend and they want to do something with one of their girlfriends and boyfriends, the first, the only general question that you need to know about the other person is, oh, does he like the Bills and Sabers? What sport are you into? Yeah, no, it's usually my first yeah. question is just that. What sport? What yeah. sport? And if you if you they say no, they say no. Oh, well, like, okay, like, well. this isn't gonna work. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like him. Sure, but the uh, this is the only th- only two things that I that I was know about him because she told me about her first date with him, which was he offered come on a boat with my friends, which I think that's just bad optics. You don't. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, but they did have a beach date at Mickey Rats. Was their first date. And this is where I, I got like a little, uh, I, don't, I don't know, because they were at Mickey Rats, ordered drinks. She orders, like a classy woman, a Southern Tier. Okay. And then he orders a Bud Light. <laughs> That's his drink of choice. And I, I'm immediately, I'm immediately like running, like, what kind of person is this? Where his, it's almost like a Mark Smith type. <laughs> Where it's like, now, now here's the problem. Bud Light is Mark your go-to, Smith, and this is the worst part. Mark Smith has so many other redeeming qualities as a person that his childlike palate and his atrocious taste in things like alcoholic beverages, little Debbie snacks, just all these things. You can look past a lot of that because he's such a good person and because he's such a good friend. He's one of those guys you can look at and say, you know what, you have all, kind of like me, I have so many flaws, but the things that I do well, I do them so well that people give me a pass for it. This guy better have the goods. If they- <laughs> That's all I know about him. I can't wait. He likes Bud Light. That's his drink of choice. It's like Mark or Pat Moran. I just love that you're the guy who needs to get introduced to new friends through other people. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm. I don't even know if I'm accepting new applications. Like I'm fine over here with you and Mark and my lady. I don't know if I can handle more friends. We'll see. But yeah, that's going to get uh, set up in the coming weeks. The Meeting another couple. We're going to say, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to have you, like how a woman prepares for a bad date, we're going to have a safe word established. You text me the safe word, I will show up, Jess is going to know what's going on, her (laughs) friend will not, and I'm just going to get drunk and belligerent and just make a spectacle out of the whole thing. Only like you know how to do. I'll deal with Jess. I'll deal with the fallout with your girlfriend later. It <laughs> seems this, like a good idea. Scenario, I'll be your wingman. I like it. We'll drink to that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But we are here looking at camp battle previews as the camp's getting closer and closer and closer. And tonight, the one we're going to be looking at is wide receiver number five and wide receiver number six. Now, the Buffalo Bills have one of the NFL's, certainly the AFC's most experienced, deepest, and probably most overall talented wide receiver core from top to bottom heading into training camp in 2021. Their top three targets, Diggs, Beasley, and Sanders, all hit over 800 yards in 2020 and were among the NFL's top 10 in efficiency against zone coverage, which is a ploy that a lot of defensive coordinators utilize to keep the big play potential of our wide receiver wide receivers in check. You know, especially with the way our offense is designed, it's a vertical offense that attacks down the field. They're trying to get Gabe Davis in space behind your linebackers. They're trying to get Stephon Diggs on deep crosses and things where he can use his change of direction skills in the middle of the field and where he can use some of his unorthodox route running to just find gaping holes. And so you as a defense almost are forced into playing zone. There's very few teams. And I made this point to somebody uh, just a week ago, one of my coworkers. When you looked at the regular season Bills offense, when it hit its stride down the stretch at the end of the year. And then you look at what happened when we went into the playoffs and played three teams who came in with a game plan to play a lot of man coverage, a lot of man defense, physical play. Our offense shrank a little bit from what we had gotten used to seeing. It's because unless you can do that at a really, really high level consistently, you're going to have a really hard time keeping an attack like ours in check. And with those pieces, it's not hard to see why. So now they're aiming to be more efficient with the addition of Emmanuel Sanders against attacking those zones. And when you look at our current wide receiver core, the only wide receiver to have more touchdowns as a rookie in 2020 than Gabe Davis was Minnesota phenom Justin Jefferson. So the top four is pretty stacked. That's fair. Yes. Nobody else has a wide receiver who scored seven touchdowns except for Minnesota. And guess what? They didn't make the playoffs. So I don't give a damn what they think. Beyond the top end talent and spots one through four, you've got this great mix of skill sets and experience that the Bills are going to be taking to camp, which means there's going to be a pretty ferocious battle for those last few spots in the final 53-man roster. So here are our challengers for the positions. It starts with Isaiah Hodgins. He's a 2020 rookie whose season was derailed during training camp last year and never never saw the field. In terms of unique traits, he's got size, good hands, and he was touted as having better route running and chops than Gabe Davis coming out of college. People were shocked that he fell, but I think Gabe Davis had the better speed. And that was the book on him. You know, when I, Whenever you look at Gabe Davis' scouting profiles, it always said he had... He had good play speed down the field, but his route running, especially intermediate route running, needed a lot of work, needed a lot of polish, that he wouldn't be able to create a lot of natural separation against good cornerbacks or decent cornerbacks at the NFL level. And the Bills took that but found a role for him in in their offense. 
And you, he was some people's pick to beat Gabe Davis out for a roster spot heading into 2020's camp, just based on his skill set as a very clean route runner with a lot of size, a big wingspan, just not top-end speed. I mean, he scored 13 touchdowns in college in his final season. That alone tells you that he's a, he's a weapon if you can find a right role for him. Beyond that's Isaiah McKenzie. His claims of fame are... He's probably the most decorated person on this list. Coming off a season where he scored a career-high six touchdowns, he had his best season as a wide receiver in a Bills uniform. He led the NFL in percentage of snaps where he was brought in motion, indicating that he was a useful tool for the Bills' offense as a wide receiver four in sets where they needed help IDing whatever the defense's coverage was going to be. In terms of unique traits... Of all the depth wide receivers, McKenzie's probably the shiftiest of the bunch. He probably has the most established lateral agility. He's the only wide receiver on the roster with more than 40 reps at punt and kick return, but doesn't hold the highest yards per return average on the roster for whatever that's worth. And his size limits his usefulness to a certain degree, because while he put up some highlight catches down the field in 2020, uh, like the one that got blanked out on TV, Chris, against Miami, that they had to come back and show us when they... Ah, uh, yes. Yes, I remember that. If he can get wide open down the field, he can make himself available. Like you saw it again in the San Francisco game when he got open for that touchdown. And he was probably about 10, 10 plus yards downfield when he got the pass from Allen. But his career average depth of target is the lowest of any Bills wide receiver, or at least on the receiver roster last year, at 4.4 yards. Which means if he carries more than five yards downfield against another defensive back, the odds of him coming open, it's not good. I mean, he's probably not the target at that point (laughs) on a play. Which underscores that size for some of these wide receivers in a vertical passing game is its a disadvantage, for sure. Duke Williams, claim to fame? Every Bills fan's crush back in 2019. How sick of that did you get? Uh, pretty sick. <laughs> I, it, think, I think it needed to die like two months before it actually did. Probably, but my, mine didn't come till till later. Probably till after the probably after the season going into 2020 is when I was like, all right, cut it out. We we could see what he. He did late in the season in, in 19. He's not it. Well, and this is it. He's He has he has a lot of things. I can see why people like him. He's got size. Uh, he can contest. He can fight for contested balls in the air. And for that reason, he's always exciting to fans this time of year. You know, he, he, he'll go into training camp. He's going to have a lot of great reps in one-on-one drills where he makes a highlight reel catch against uh, Trey White. And everyone goes crazy on social media talking about, look at how good Duke Williams is. I don't know why he's not on the roster. But that's not Sunday. (laughs) That's not Sundays. We've seen now what Duke Williams has on Sundays. Marquez Stevenson, the newly drafted Marquez Stevenson, in terms of unique traits, he's a 2021 rookie. He's one of the fastest wide receivers in the entire draft class in terms of pure speed and play speed. Even though if you go back and look at his testing numbers, it's not always outrightly apparent that he's this fast, shifty guy. He's pretty raw in multiple facets, which is why he was available to Buffalo in the sixth round. He was a dynamic punt and kick returner in college. Chris, put a pin in that idea in the back of your head. Okay? Got it. Jake Kumaro, 
Claim to fame, they called him Touchdown Jesus after his performance against the Denver Broncos last year, where he caught his only target of the 2020 season for a 22-yard touchdown pass. You are missing a a bullet for claim to fame here on your notes. What's that? That he was in the middle of the... That he's in the middle of the Aaron Rodgers saga in Green Bay because he was upset. Rodgers was upset that they cut. <laughs> he's Jake. the straw that yeah. broke the camel's back yeah. in Green he was Bay. Up, Rodgers upset that they got rid of Jake Kumaro. Yeah, that's a claim that, to fame. Yeah, because I don't know that Aaron Rodgers has ever shed a tear for anybody else that they cut. Exactly. Unique traits. He's this jack of all trades, master of none type player. I mean, he's got decent but not not totally remarkable route running, good but not top flight speed, and at six four two oh nine, he doesn't play like the most physical wide receiver on your roster. And he's almost thirty years old, but only has six starts to his credit, indicating that he's closer to be a, being a journeyman type wide receiver. Then he is a young player with a lot of developmental and untapped upside. And you got Brandon Powell, who's only claim to fame. I mean, this is his, he's a third year player on his third football team. He's got some experience as a kick return and punt returner. That's about it. Uh, Tanner Gentry, former, t- for, former college teammate of Josh Allen. That's probably the most remarkable thing about him, point blanking period. He hasn't started a game since 2017. When he played with Chicago and he has three pro catches. Chris, when they said that we had signed someone who used to play with Josh Allen named Tanner Gentry, I remember having the thought, like, oh, a UDFA went to college with Josh. I don't know. Why wouldn't they have signed him earlier in the year? Do you know how disappointed it like disappointed I was to find out that he's been in the league for years? Hey. He's just going to be a preseason body. Like, that's it. At that point, you, the, I don't even know why people wasted ink writing articles. There was legitimate articles written about this guy, and I don't know why. It, such, such is the nature of blogging. <laughs> and Lance Lenoir, who I think he's... Uh, I already to, don't like him. Claim to fame? Based on his name, I don't like him. Third year player, LL? You don't like alliteration like that? No, the, the French last name. <laughs> I don't know how much control he has over that, Chris. Uh, he's a third-year player, spent his career with Dallas as a pure special teamer, really no offensive acumen to speak of. He was His unique trait is that he was bragging on Instagram during uh, OTAs that he was running faster than everybody else, which is a weird flex considering that you can run as fast as you want you have the same number of NFL catches as, as Isaiah Hodgins does. Zero. And I think Greg Thompson said it best when the, the tweet, because you know Brad Gelber from the Bills Wire, uh, or Bills TMZ as we like to call him around these parts. I mean, his, his contributions to media tend to just revolve around him stalking social media of players and their families and everything else. And I guess there's value to that if you care about people's lives like that and if you care that much about social media. But he did find the screen grab of Lance Lenoir's Instagram post outlining, because they use those Amazon you know how at the combine they use those like sensors to track speed and all that yeah. stuff. Well, they do that at training camp too, and I guess they've they put together a leaderboard for all the players, and they were showing who was running the fastest during their drills. And Lance Lenoir's thing was, look at how much faster I am than Stefan Diggs, and then this guy and that guy and that guy. And Greg Thompson replied, 
yeah, well, maybe if he ran a little bit faster at his pro day, you would have gotten drafted instead of being a, you know, undrafted free agent. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> so that's it. A whole lot of players who you say, what, who? And then, so you look at the landscape of this competition. Before you can really try answering the question of who's going to win, you have to answer the question, how many spots are even available to be won? First, there's just a straightforward numbers game. Since 2018, the team has kept either five or six wide receivers, typically six. Under Sean McDermott, the team has never carried seven or more wide receivers. I think it's also important to note the impact of the return job on the wide receiver room. McDermott has only trusted a non-wide receiver to hold kick return and punt return duties once. That was 2018 with running back Marcus Murphy. I remember being so high on Marcus Murphy. You get enamored with horrible running backs early. Murphy, James Wilder. James Wilder Jr. There's a different, and, and his father was successful. Hey, James Wilder Jr., I think, well, what is it? He's played in three championships in the CFL, and he's won two of them. All right, good good for him. That doesn't, no one cares about that in America. And yet everyone loves Duke Williams. Everyone loves Duke Williams. One of them's a star in Canada, and one of them, well, one of them is uh, potentially going to get cut this year. But Marcus Murphy, who I was hoping he would pan out just so I could start referring to him as RoboCop, um, he, he was the only one who wasn't a wide receiver who they trusted to hold down that job. In doing that, when he when they pegged him for kick return duties, they opted to only carry five wide receivers on the roster, which I think illustrates that that job has a direct impact on the number of roster spots they plan to allocate to pass catchers. Now, that could change, but I, I don't know, Chris. If history bears something out, I think that that's worthwhile, right? When, when we have... Five wide, 18? Uh, yes, 2018, So when they let an extra running back, they kept an extra running back on the roster to keep, to keep those kick return and punt return duties. I would... So they, they specifically took bodies away from the wide receiver position to address kick and punt return. But now, 2021, our wide receiver room is way more talented. For sure. Than 18. So I would... I would, I would put it closer to six, then we'd keep five this year. Okay, I think, I think it'll be well, no shit. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm glad that I'm glad that you're th- you're you're using that head of yours for more than just a platform for that ridiculous haircut. Exactly. Because hey, look around, Bills Mafia. This roster outside of the wide receiver room. When you look at who might take that job, it's almost like they set this up for somebody in the wide receiver room to take it. Because the roster is essentially bereft of return talent. Here's a list of everybody who has return experience on their resume that doesn't play wide receiver. Micah Hyde, 128 kick and punt returns for his career, just 18 of them in a Bills uniform since 2017. Jordan Poyer, 31 kick and punt returns, zero in a Bills uniform since 2017. Does anyone out there even want to see either one of them Picking up a punt return roll. Bueller. 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 That's right. There are no hands in the air because nobody wants that. I, I, 
Running back Taiwan Jones, zero punt returns, but 82 kick returns in his career. Only seven of them in a Bills uniform since 2017. Let that sink in for a second, Chris. The guy had a history as a kick returner when he came to this football team, and McDermott only used him in that role in emergencies and ultimately was part of an active search for a replacement in Andre Roberts after seeing him take a few reps in not one, but two seasons before signing him in 2019. If that doesn't underscore that they don't want Taiwan Jones having that job, I don't know what else does. Uh, Matt Breda, five kick returns, none since 2017. Oh, look, everybody! Jaquan Johnson has one kick return! Even saying that, I feel like, you know, that it's become a meme now, but from the movie Jurassic Park, when Nedry's out to lunch with a guy and he's talking about stealing the embryos and he goes, hey, would you keep it down? And he goes, look, hey, see, look, I'm breaking the law over here. Nobody cares. That's exactly how I feel talking about Jaquan Johnson as part of the kick and punt return competition. The reality is the only guys with any sort of pedigree for the kick return job and the punt return job on a highly competitive football team all currently sit in the wide receiver room. Now, there are some quirks to the makeup of the roster beyond that job that could make it hard to forecast exactly how many jobs there might even be. You've got two highly drafted rookies joining the fold at defensive end, and the Bills now have nine players at defensive end and edge. And the Bills' offensive line has 15 bodies on it with an average of five years' experience on the interior. Those are both positions that were less than stellar last year, which could lead the team to keeping a few extra bodies at them in order to keep their options open and provide a little bit of in-season flexibility. I mean, for example, the pterodactyl hasn't been the most impactful defensive end in a Bills uniform. At the same time, last year he played the third most special team snap of any Bills player while maintaining his 20% snap share on defense from his rookie season. So now you're talking about a team holding players who can make impacts and trying to maybe even carry some extra bodies at some different places and give them security in positions that are critical on a more frequent basis than the return job, more frequent basis than backups. And so with that in mind, I think six is probably the cap, right? Yep. Boom. High five. We actually agree on something. So now that means that there are two jobs outside of our top four that are up for grabs. And you're looking at eight different players who are all kind of vying for it. So when I look at the dynamics of the competition, I want to look at the players themselves and just how their individual skill sets and experience might stack up to create what I think would be a better version of what we had last year. Because you're going to need depth. Last year, we were incredibly lucky, I think, in terms of injuries. John Brown was in and out of the lineup over the course of the season, and you saw the toll that it took not having... I mean, Gabe Davis was a rookie, and he was not ready for being shifted into a, like, hey, you have to be the second focal point of this offense. What you want to have is options. You want to have depth, and you still want the Bills' offense to be able to to keep schematically what it was capable of doing last year. So, as I've done for each previous group, I'm going to narrow this down without boring the shit out of everybody. Instead of rattling down each of these guys' skill sets and experiences like I did for the offensive lineman last week when we broke down the, the guard battle, I'd instead like to look at the requirements of these two openings and who smells like they might be a fit. And the first one is the kick and punt return job, since we've already outlined that it does play a pretty significant impact on who's going to make the roster as one of these two backups. 
And this one's probably the easiest because there's only three players who have the physical profile and skill set and history in the NFL, or at least football history, to fit that role, which we've established is pretty important. And that's Isaiah McKenzie, Brandon Powell, Marquez Stevenson. Now, much like Duke Williams, I'd say it's a, maybe maybe it's a, a little bit more tempered than that, but there is a sizable contingent of Bills fans who are excited about Marquez Stevenson. They're not as loud, they're not as obnoxious as the Duke Williams stands, but they're real, and they are out here. I hear it, I see it. <laughs> and there's a lot of reason to see why. Here's... I guess if we were going to say narrow this down for what Marquez Stevenson's upshot is, it was best put by Mark Schofield in our run-up to the NFL draft. And we brought it back during our draft recap show because the Bills actually went out and picked him. He's kind of that pure burner type that has one thing that he does, and he does it extremely well, which is run fast. Like, he doesn't do a lot in terms of selling routes because he doesn't need to. He can just run by you. And that works at Houston, and that worked at times at the Senior Bowl, but does it work on Sundays? But he's somebody that can get over the top of the defense, that can stress defenses downfield, that is going to put the fear of God in some safeties, not all, but some. And that might be worth something, a late flyer in sort of day three. And again, Talking about it from the Bills' perspective, where you have the luxury of not needing to force a receiver into a massive role as a rookie. And so you have the luxury of taking a flyer to a guy like Stevenson and saying, look, speed like this works no matter what. You know, NFL, college, doesn't matter the level. Speed like this kills. And so we can fill in some of the stuff around him, give him a limited package of routes, plays, concepts. Like, look, you're going to run five routes for us a game three posts and two goes like you'll do that you might see the ball you might not but we'll start to fill in the rest of the stuff as we go i mean i think he's more john brown replacement out of the gate i don't think he has the sort of change of direction skills the route running skills that will uh, would enable him to be his contributor on the inside where you know you need those things more i think right now he's a john brown outside replacement to beat people on the outside and maybe you can get him to a point if he starts refining that route running where, yeah, he, he can fill in some of the stuff and kick inside a bit and be more of a versatile receiver. I think earlier in his career, though, it's more John Brown than, than anything else. Mark Schofield on our show, pre-draft with that knowledge. That, I, when I was going back and listening for that clip, I realized like it took me back because that's when we were I was podcasting from my garage yeah. because I had COVID and... <laughs> My audio was terrible, and your computer connection kept dropping, and it was just... Yeah. The one thing that I, I will say about you pre-draft this year, he is one of, I think, two people that you targeted pre-draft to ask our analysts that we get on about, and then we drafted that player. I mean, they can't all be misses, right? <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm not I'm a dumb man. Okay, I'm not the smartest person on earth, but they can't all be misses, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't have an audience. We wouldn't have any following. We'd just be out here saying things for the sake of saying them, and then trying to. It's, I would see now. I was even now because I'm a petty asshole. I was about to start punching down on somebody. It's complete. Nope. We're nope. not going to do it. Instead, we're going to talk about Marquez Stevenson. Two things. Two quotes there that I want you guys to listen to. Luxury of not needing to force him into a massive role. Don't think he has the change of direction skills or route running to play inside. 
I need you all to hear that. When you put all this together, what we're looking at is a kid who's got some great physical traits, who's going to need work. The same way Isaiah McKenzie needed work. You guys remember that? When Denver gave up on a fifth-round pick, Isaiah McKenzie, because he couldn't play down the field, at the time, wasn't his field vision wasn't quite good enough for him to be a great returner. Let me ask. Vision wasn't good enough as a late-round draft pick to be a great returner. He had a case of the drops, and then he was cut and ended up the third wide receiver on a crappy Bills roster. It took McKenzie. Well, what was your question before I? I was going to say when he was with Denver, were they using him? No, in the best was, way for his skill set. He was a backup who they gave some kick and punt return opportunities to because they were trying to figure out what he was, and they ended up cutting him, and he ended up here in Buffalo. And multiple seasons later, he's now rounded into a fairly consummate professional. Albeit one that Chris, he he was out there. He was readily available for teams to sign, and people opted not to. So he returned to the Buffalo Bills. I think that, that when you look at Marquez Stevenson, you can be hopeful for him. But to say you're comfortable with him being your wide receiver five, your dedicated punt and kick returner, and you need him to take McKenzie's role in the offense. You need him to take McKenzie's snaps. Those five receiving touchdowns, you need that from a, you're now going to need that from a rookie. It's kind of a big ask, isn't it? I mean, maybe. I mean, to me, McKenzie doesn't. McKenzie has a specific set of. It's like Steven Seagal. I have a specific set of skills. I think that's. Uh, I don't think it's Steven Seagal. I think you're crossing your movies there. Steven Seagal was that uh, Liam Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. Steven Seagal was the fat guy who just went around snapping necks. Like I think Will Sasso does a has a Mad TV bit about that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, Steven Seagal can no problem take over a battleship. I've seen it before, and if you've even seen the one where he takes over a train, he could do that. But that that movie with the train might have been Under Siege Two. That might have been the most unnecessary sequel of all time. That movie didn't need to be made. I watched it. All right. Well, crossing up my my action stars, Mackenzie's got. He only has like a small package of plays, so I feel like if you can get that out, out of a role, rookie, but his role is incredibly important, right? Uh, the motion role. The fact that you're helping your quarterback ID with the coverages and teams have to and, and you have to know that when you throw him the ball, he's not going to drop it, that he can make a play for you, because eventually what we talk about this. And now you're I have notes, I have bullet points and you're, you've derailed me with your ignorance. All right. <laughs> when Sean McVay came into the NFL. Comes into the NFL with this offense that sets the world on fire, and everyone goes, "Wow, he's it's got some elements of a vertical passing attack, but there's West Coast offense, and there's a ton of motion, and it's confusing for defensive coordinators, and it confuses the players on the field." And he rides that to success his first season. Yep. And then people have an off season to pick apart his offense, and one of the th- and then he has there's there's a re- defensive coordinators pick his film apart. And there's a regression for their offense in 20, I think it was 2018. No, 2019. 2019, their offense took a step back. 
And one of the reasons for that, which Mark Schofield actually had a really great write-up about this, was that defensive coordinators realized that for all the motion he was bringing into his offensive packages, the ball never got thrown to the motion man. So defensive coordinators coached up their players before every game against the Rams saying, look, nine times out of ten, when the UC Robert Woods motioning across the formation, don't, that's window dressing, don't fall for it because the play is going somewhere else. And it caught up to them. And then he had to go back to the drawing board and figure out, okay, now going into 2020, I have to actually incorporate that motion guy or else defenses are just going to squat on everybody else. In that way, Isaiah McKenzie's role is important because you have to have that guy. Look at the San Francisco game. They motioned him and motioned him and motioned him. And finally, San Francisco's defense said, okay, screw this. We're not following McKenzie this play. And they left him open for one play. Allen finds him for a 20-yard touchdown. Like that's, you have to have that or else your offense will stagnate. Do you trust that a rookie can come in and play that role? That's what the preseason's for, dude. <laughs> if they feel some some rookie can do that in the preseason, but even even they'll that, consider it. Okay, but in terms of kick and punt return duties, it's I, we're starting just looking at that, just with that. Okay, who here has the most offensive upside compared with the you know, proven ability to do that job at an NFL level? Is it third year player Brandon Powell that no one wanted to keep around? No. Is it rookie Marquez Stevenson who's never tried to return a punt against an NFL coverage unit? Where guys on the coverage unit were the best players you ever played against in college. He'll get his shot in the preseason. And Isaiah McKenzie. I just want you to think about that. Then the second dynamic here is that you're also looking to fill your roster with a true backup. You need a backup wide receiver who, when someone goes down, can step up if need be. And, I mean, you saw it last year. They, they said, okay, Gabe Davis, you become our number two because John Brown went down. And we're going to, between you, Cole Beasley, and Diggs, you guys are going to be our three wide receivers. We'll mix in some tight end, and we'll see what we do with the fourth. We'll bring in McKenzie sometimes to play that fourth role. Sometimes you need a backup, quote-unquote, to fill one specific job. I mean, that's the whole point of having a true depth wide receiver is to achieve at least one of three things. Fill the role of the wide receiver ahead of them on the depth chart in the event of injury. Develop while occasionally utilizing a unique skill set that has upside, or hopefully for future use in live action. And a guy who has special teams jobs. Now, in a perfect world, you find a guy who can do all three, but you absolutely want to be accomplishing at least one of those items. Maybe two if you can cross it off. So if you look at the competition and who can accomplish those, I don't see Gentry or Lenoir playing anything close to a role in any either one of those categories. I mean, people get down on Duke Williams because they say he doesn't have much experience, myself included, and that he hasn't been good enough to get on the field and get that experience. And yet Duke Williams has nine more catches than Tanner Gentry and Lance Lenoir combined, despite only being in the league for two years and only seeing the field in one of them. He was inactive for all but one game in 2020, and he saw no targets. Can you just not say Gentry or Lenoir the rest of the show? Because they're... Well, I'm about to wash my hands. To me, they're not going to be here. They can come into camp. They can help our quarterbacks on our our offense acclimate to the playbook. You know, second team, third team. And maybe even make a few plays in a preseason game that will make everybody clap. Just like Brandon Riley, just like Des Lewis, and just like dozens of other players that have come before them. David Sills. Oh, my God. 
Remember when Sills was supposed to be the future of the position? Oh, I can't believe we stole him as an undrafted. I remember in eighth grade when he verbally committed to USC with Lane Kiffin. I remember that happened. That was a thing. And then he ended up going to West Virginia as a wide receiver. <laughs> the, the random shit that you remember about sports astounds me. Hey, I mean, I don't have other things to uh, take up that information space in my head. Like, I don't, I don't know Jessica's mom's birthday or her dad's birthday. Like, but you remember that David u- Sills was yeah. supposed to be a quarterback at USC. Yeah. That's not useful yet to take over me knowing that David Sills went to was verbally committed in eighth grade to USC. So in that same vein, we already saw what Duke Williams has in the bank. He's a player who's got size. He's got some ball skills. I mean, more than anyone behind him on the depth chart. But with him on the roster, the team went out in 2020 and invested multiple picks in players with a similar build and somewhat similar skill sets to what he was bringing out of college. That alone tells me that the team saw him. They saw him in extended action and said, I want more. I want more. I don't think that that's good enough to get by. So I don't know what the odds are that they see him as good enough to hold down a role in this receiver core in that five spot. Do they trust him to, I mean, they trusted him in 20, what was that, 2018? Chris, or was it 2019? 2019 was Gaya, was uh, Duke Duke Williams. Yeah. So they trusted him then. He had that Tennessee game. Yes. Where he he set the world on fire and then kind of disappeared after in any game that he appeared in. And I mean, you saw him get targeted a ton in the Houston playoff wildcard loss. He just couldn't come down with enough contested catches. His footwork was just not quite what they wanted. You saw a whole different, like, look at one rookie season of Gabe Davis. Everyone forgot about Duke Williams because you had that big physical wide receiver that you were looking for Duke Williams to be. Yeah. So is there a shot that he could maybe be the heir apparent to Gabe Davis? Like his un- like that role is his understudy? I don't know, potentially, but I don't think it's great considering they went out and kept adding at wide receiver after they saw him play. To me, the three of them failed to check any of those boxes to a significant enough degree. Meanwhile, McKenzie illustrated that he can be effective from the slot. All the things that we showed that you could do. I mean, he's not Cole Beasley, but he can bring you some of the aspects of Cole Beasley's game. And then even when Beasley's healthy, McKenzie still has a defined role here. When you say healthy, do you mean his leg or vaccination? (laughs) I hate you. So I think that this narrows down the field to three players that are, in my opinion, probably vying for one of those last, probably one job, right? You've got Duke Williams, Jake Kumaro, and Isaiah Hodgins. First of all, does it bother you that I'm already trying to chalk up Isaiah McKenzie as a Bills receiver in 2020, 2021? I mean... I know I know your personal feelings towards it. Yeah. My feeling is just if you're able to get similar production out of a rookie at a cheaper cost, you'll go that route. But, you know, I can absolutely see Isaiah McKenzie being on this 53-man uh, roster come September. Okay. So then the, the, the last spot. You're looking at Duke Williams, Jake Kumaro, and Isaiah Hodgins. Now, we know what Duke Williams is. Big, physical, 
You can't really rely on him to get a lot done, but he can surprise you and he can do some run blocking and some different things. So these two, Jay Kumaro and Isaiah Hodgins, they're the dice roll for me. And this is, I think, the probably going to be the most fun I'll have. Like when we talk about camp battle preview, this is it for me. This wide receiver five and six job, I think I already know who five is. Like I think I already have that down pat. Right? Yeah. Okay. Jake Kubro and Isaiah Hodgins. Salary's a non-factor between them because neither has much in the way of dead cap. There probably wouldn't be a huge rock fight with other teams trying to claim them off waivers considering Hodgins is an unproven sixth-round pick and Kumaro was on our practice squad all season last year and the Saints like took him from us once and then immediately cut him and he came back to us. Didn't they take him the game after he scored the touchdown? I think so. They tried to... <laughs> They tried to throw him back on the practice squad. What a bunch of jerks. Well, we'll get to write that wrong this Thanksgiving. I can't wait to... Oh, I can't wait to kick the shit out of those guys. And I'll be thinking about this. I'll be like, hey, remember that time when you tried to screw over Jay Kumro, who was like, hey, I'm going to go to the playoffs. I might be on a playoff roster. And then New Orleans steps in and they're like, hey, not so fast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. And physically, they're somewhat similar. They're both 6'4", both between 210 and 200 pounds with good wingspans for the position. There's a part of me that wants to say that Kumaro has a... And look at this. He has a touchdown pass in a Bills uniform unlike Isaiah Hodgins. He has six career starts. He's scored at least one touchdown in every pro season for the last three years. And when he's not playing wide receiver, he has 95 special team snaps last season when he was active, illustrating that they have a level of trust with him being a depth player who can still go out there and play on your coverage units. Now, if you Google, I mean, uh, don't don't trust me, trust the Internet. Jake Kumaro does have quite a few. He's got a number of highlight reel catches to his credit. And there's a sliding catch from Aaron Rodgers in a, I want to say it was a primetime game. Probably. Why do you think Rodgers is mad that he's gone? He has the touchdown pass uh, from Allen. He's made a few very nice pro catches in coverage, usually downfield. He's done nice things. Isaiah Hodgins has all the chops to do these things, but he's a complete unknown. And yet, he was a draft pick that, I, I mean, do we have the audio or is it not worth playing? It's not worth playing. Okay. Nate Geary came on this podcast in the in the aftermath of the 2020 draft, as he does every year. Uh, WGR 550's Nate Geary, for those of you out-of-towners who don't know exactly who I'm talking about. And essentially said that he, Isaiah Hodgins, he didn't know why he fell, other than he's not as big a player as Gabe Davis. He doesn't, maybe, he's a little light in the lower body, which means run blocking for him won't be a forte. But he's a better route runner. That means you don't score 13 touchdowns in college by being terrible at catching a football. He's got hands. He's got all these nice things that, and I think at the time I made a comment about how, yeah, all of these things are great. He's got size. He's got some speed. He's got great route running. That didn't save James Hardy. James Hardy, the failed second-round pick of the Buffalo Bills out of Indiana. There's who, a lot of things that failed him. Who were was too light in the lower body to beat press coverage. And once teams figured that out, he just got pressed every single every play at the line, and he could never recover and get himself open. Yeah, well, I think Nate said last year that 
he preferred Hodgins to Gabe Davis. He did. And that's my point. Like, there was a lot of people who said that. They said, well, Hodgins has this pedigree. He's got all these things. I don't know what it would have looked like if he was healthy in training camp last year. And that's why this is so interesting. Because if you're talking about finding another wide receiver for this roster who's big, I mean, that's that's the where everyone else, Chris, across the NFL, I mean, I made the point in this year's draft recap that this year's draft class alone, wide receivers under six feet, under six foot one and under 200 pounds, more than double the record. More than double the record. Meaning teams are, everyone's trying to find the next Tariq Hill. Everyone's drafting smaller and smaller wide receivers. They're trying to make this a spacing game. And the Buffalo Bills are zigging where everyone else is zagging. And instead they're adding bigger, bigger wide receivers. Maybe this works. I'm excited to see what Isaiah Hodgins has. I have a feeling that it's Duke Williams, Jake Coomer, and Isaiah Hodgins fighting out for that last roster spot. I mean, some of it might come down to special teams utility. I don't know. And in that regard, maybe they look at Jay Kumaro's NFL experience and they go, yeah, he's, he's around and he's a tall guy with, big, with a big catch radius and he does all these things and he plays special teams and he's got experience. In a ch- and if this was the 2018 Buffalo Bills, maybe that wouldn't matter. But when you're the 2021 Buffalo Bills who think you can go play for a Super Bowl, maybe that experience is the wild card here. I don't know, but the the battle between those three players, Duke Williams, who I think I've already laid out that I, you can probably tell from my my observations that I'm, I'm not thrilled at what he brings to the table compared to everybody else. The unknown upside of Isaiah Hodgins, because we all like, you know what I mean? It, it's like Schrodinger's wide receiver. You don't know if he stinks until you actually see him go out and play. So in everybody's mind, Isaiah Hodgins has the upside to be great. And Jake Kumara, who... Just this unheralded guy who goes by touchdown Jesus. I mean, Chris, that man of his, I remember seeing him and I was like, he looks like an anorexic Aquaman. Like That's all I could think of. So <laughs> when you look at it like that and you think about these three, who do you like? If you had to pick in your limited understanding of what's going on here, who do you like? If we're down to two spots... For wide receiver. Down to, okay, so down to two spots. So, so you're five and six spot. <laughs> I love how you can't just concede one of these jobs to Isaiah McKenzie. Well, I think one will be Isaiah. The other one, I think, will be I, Isaiah Hodgins. And then if you can fit Stevenson on the practice squad. Because yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that they'll... If they... Because they drafted Hodgins... And Stevenson. So I don't think you just immediately can put those players on practice squad unless you know for sure that they're going to make it through and get on practice squad. For sure. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure Brandon Bean's still kicking himself for that Wyatt Teller thing. I mean, <laughs> granted, different positions, but you let a draft pick, you know, a late-round pick go, and then he blossoms somewhere else. So I think... I think it's going to come down to Hodgins and McKenzie, 5-6, and they'll put Stevenson on the practice. <sighs> this one's tough. This is tough for me. I, I want to be as excited as everybody else is about Isaiah Hodgins, especially after reading all the OTA stuff about how he looked good, he was making catches, he was making plays. I want to believe in him. At the same time, Jake Kumaro. He could be just this steady, you know, Chris, 
Jack of all trades, master of none. Boring, but sometimes boring isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah, reminds me of you. <laughs> yeah, Chris, I don't think anybody who's ever met me has ever referred to me as boring. I think it's... <laughs> I don't know. It's tough. It's a tough call. I'd like, to th- I'd like to think that because of the draft capital they have tied up in Isaiah Hodgins, they wouldn't want to see him get away. They wouldn't want to see some other team's pro scouting department say, you know what, we've heard good things. Our, we're, we're a bad team anyway, or our roster or our wide receiver position isn't very good. So we could churn the roster a little bit. Let's kick off another guy who's the fifth wide receiver on our thing, and we'll bring him in if the Bills think they don't need him. And maybe we can turn him into something. I feel like the Bills would try to avoid that scenario. And so in that way, it might give Isaiah Hodgins the upside. But I'm telling you, Jake Kumaro, Isaiah Hodgins, Duke Williams, that three-way, and, and I'm almost wanted, just, I'm trying not to be mean to the guy, but I think it's more just Jake Kumaro and Isaiah Hodgins. To me, that's worth watching the hell out of. I can't wait for training camp to get started just so we can stop having these debates. But in that way, this is one I'm absolutely looking forward to. Hopefully you guys have heard our other camp battle series. Uh, we have one on the offensive guards out, and then before that we broke down the cornerback two position, the upcoming battle between Dane Jackson and uh, Levi Wallace. We've gotten a lot of good feedback on these, so I think we're going to roll out one more before the season, before training camp actually kicks off. One more, Chris. What position do you think? Uh, I don't know. Might have to do with the trenches. And we already did the trenches on the offensive side. Well, there's another side. We might as well take a look at the defensive side. Make sure you keep your eyes peeled because we'll be back with one more of these before training camp gets started. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your Rockpile Report.